0: I'm Rabbi Nicole Guzzi. And I'm Rabbi Erez Sherman. And And this this is Sinai Sinai Cast. Cast. Catch up with Sinai Temple's latest programs, speakers, exclusive
1: content. candid conversations and inspiring connections. Follow us now. Bringing Sinai wherever you go. Hello, everyone.
0: Um, I am delighted to be here with Hen Mazig, whom I know, but I have actually never met. In this strange COVID world, you get to know people over social media and you feel like you really know them, even though you've never sat down, you've never had a meal, you've never had a one-on-one conversation. Um, But I think the best way before I allow him to introduce himself uh, to, to describe Hen Mazig is he brings together lots of worlds that are usually separate and he has behind him all sorts of people who rally seeing him as a sort of symbol of somebody who represents lgbtq plus rights who represents israel and zionism who represents a different face of judaism from the face that most of us grew up with um but is also just uniquely hen so um, it is really, I'm delighted, uh, both uh, for Sinai and also for me personally, to welcome you and to have you join us.
1: Thank you so much, Rabbi Wuppi. It's a pleasure and an honor. And uh, um, I mean, I know we never met, but I feel like uh, reading a lot of what you're writing and following you, I feel like I, I, I know you already. So uh, Um, Yeah, I don't think it's only COVID, it's also when you when you get a chance to read what someone thinks you really get to um, understand them. So So uh,
0: your your messages, for example, on Instagram, which are always simple, succinct and powerful, that we get to know you from seeing this. So give us your background. Like, uh, where in Israel did you grow up and how did you come to be who you are?
1: So I I grew up in Israel. I was born in in Patech Tikva, a suburb of Tel Aviv, I guess. Most of Israel is a suburb of Tel Aviv, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I grew up to, I I was born to a family of, uh, uh, you know, um, my mom is Iraqi Iraqi Jewish, um, and my dad is Tunisian Jewish. Um, They both came to Israel, um, their families came to Israel in the early 50s. Um, I think that really informed a lot of my identity um, being the son of uh, Sephardi Mizrahi Jews um, that uh, grew up with um, Arabic music at home and Middle Eastern cooking and um, eating food that uh, today people say that, I'm, that we are stealing from other people, but those were the only recipes that, that I knew that you know, my family just, when they came to Israel, they came with nothing. They, the only thing they had was their culture, was their recipes that they cooked for millennia. Um, that's what they brought with them to, to Israel. And uh, growing up with this culture, I think it was, you know, when, when people come to Israel, they often say they feel something about Israel, you know, the flavor, the, the music, the, the atmosphere, the warmth. And I think all of this is really coming from this community, the Middle Eastern Jews um, that are, that all those flavors and all this, you know, warmness and, and feeling like you're going into a, um, maybe some would call it Italian family, um it's very it's very they'll tell you exactly what they think about you and they'll be very direct and if they love you they love you unconditionally and that's you know that I think is very uh Sephardi Mizrahi thing uh, that we have and and um that that was really the the environment that I grew up with and um when I was um when I was 12 I think one of the most impactful things in my life happened when I was uh, um it was going to get an ice cream and um before i walked into this ice cream shop near my house uh, the place blew up uh because a suicide bomber walked inside and blew himself up um that really for me was a a pivotal point that i realized that i don't want this to be the future of, of israel i don't want it to be the future of my kids i want to do something to to fight for peace and um my military service, I was assigned to um, to the humanitarian unit that works with the Palestinians because I guess I spoke Arabic from home with my, my grandmother speaks Arabic, Iraqi Arabic. So that really, I think helped me uh, get into this unit. And um, uh, the Kogat unit is called, it's the unit that works in the West Bank with Palestinian civilians, was in charge of building infrastructure, um, you know, roads, uh, waterways sites, uh, um, hospitals. I was in charge of humanitarian, uh, operations, life-threatening things for Palestinians that we were able to support them in. Um, It was really a humanist, peaceful uh, position um, to be in. And um, uh, during my military service, I also, uh, I I found that I was, uh, I found my connection to my true identity because I was in the closet most of my life growing up. Growing up in it's uh, to a family that comes from Iraq and Tunisia, you have, they have, specific ideas uh, about uh, LGBTQ people in general. Um, so I, growing up in this, I would say, homophobic environment, in a sense, really made me feel that coming out would not be safe at home um, initially. And then I really, at the time, the place that I found comfort was in the army as a soldier. I came out to my commander in the army. I can tell you later about that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then I went to officer training school. I became an officer, served for five years in total. Uh, and following all of that, I've, I moved to America, lived in Seattle for a few years uh, and uh, worked on speaking about Israel and writing about Israel. And uh, that was in 2012. And I think I came such a long way. I'm, I'm reading some of the articles that I wrote in, back in the day. And it was uh, I was very, um, it was very upset because I came to Seattle thinking that I'm coming here as a as a queer person with uh, you know from a family of refugees that people are going to love what I have to say because they are progressive as I am. And it was really shocking to see that it wasn't not only that that I wasn't accepted, I was protested and and uh, people attacked me and they just didn't wanted me to to speak, not because of being uh, gay or being um, uh, or or because of my uh, ethnicity or my Uh, well i mean it is my ethnicity in a sense but it's just because i was born in israel and that really i think shook me so much that i wanted to do something to change that Uh, and since then uh, till this day i've been really committing all of my time and energy to try and um, advocate for and and it's it's really i mean i I feel like i've come such a long way and and been more nuanced and understanding that i can't lead with anger and i can't lead with hate i have to we have to tell our story better, uh, and that's what I'm doing today as a senior fellow at the Tel Aviv Institute, which is an institute that is fighting hate online. Um, but yeah, sorry, that I gave you a long. No, answer. That was a
0: great. Yeah. That was a great answer, and it gives me so many things that I want to ask you about. And I want to start with um, having a, a really close and sustained um, connection with the Palestinians. What's your impression of the Palestinian people in general, and the, and do you think that the average Palestinian on the street, as opposed to in the government, is prepared to accept a state of Israel as a as a partner?
1: Um, well, my mil- I'll start with the fact that my military service was over a decade ago, so I understand that things are different now. But from my personal experience, I do think that many Palestinians, um, most Palestinians that I've met are... They, they're, you know, they're people like us, they want better lives, and they and they don't care about politics as much. And uh, of course, there's, you know, there's, there's um, terrorist groups, and there are groups that are inciting hatred, and, and that's definitely exist. Um, but from my personal experience, what I'm seeing, what I saw is people that are really, they just want to live their life and want to be just like us, they want to be happy. And I feel like what my unit is doing is really taking care of that. Because once someone has and it, my, my, the work of my unit is also helping achieve peace because once someone has a um, good job and a good career and their kids are educated and they're going to school and they have food on the table, they're going to think twice before they go out and risk all of it for, for, for national uh, um, um, struggle. Um, I do personally think that there is a case to be made for a Palestine by Israel and I think that personally that's my opinion because I, I do think that we are fighting for Zionism, I, I'm an ardent Zionism, Zionist, of course. But um, I think that if we are making the case for our national rights, and it doesn't matter how long we've been a people as Jews, and we know we've been people for a few millennia, um, but but the Palestinians are now also a people uh, in this sense, and they and they're claiming national liberation. So I think that why we must be able to. Um, we can't hold the stakes on both hands to tell everyone that we need national re- liberation, but the Palestinians don't. Um, and I and I do think that there is readiness. It's just about politicians um, stop being politicians.
0: And do you um do you have connections with the gay community in among the Palestinians? Because presumably it's a lot harder to be queer in Palestine than it is in Israel.
1: Absolutely, I I don't have I don't have the connection uh, now, but. When I served, there were uh, many, not many, but a few Palestinians that came up to us and asked for help and we did help them. Um, it's not the type of stories that you read in the New York Times because we want to protect their identities and we right. want to make sure that they are not, but but yes, there is prosecution and that's, I think there was a peer research just from a few years ago that found that 93% of, Palestinians of, the, of the Palestinians that were asked um, Uh, thought that homosexuality is a sin and and that it should be deterred from society. So um, it's very much prevalent in the Palestinian society, uh, homophobia, that is. And um, many Palestinians are subjected to this hate and they are caught in really unimaginable place of uh, not being able to escape anywhere uh, unless they're coming to us. And then we offer them um, a, a refuge, which we often did. You know, we moved them to Israel, we gave them new identity and they live Happy and secure life in, in Israel.
0: Um, I'm curious for your explanation. I mean, you know, when something happens, like happened the other day with the synagogue in Texas, mm. the, maybe the worst, since thank God they got out, maybe the worst part of that experience in some ways as an observer was to see that The Guardian and the BBC both put hostage in quotation marks. Mm as though if you're a Jewish (laughs) hostage, you're not really a hostage, not like someone else. Um, And I I was astonished and stunned by that. Um, And before we get to the question of anti-Semitism in general, there is this sort of polite sort of sotto voce under, like undercurrent of um, anti-Semitism that I'm sure you've seen and are subjected to what do you think that comes from? I mean, where? what do you, if you were guessing about the source, not of like the rabid haters, but just the people who Jews make them uncomfortable, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, wow, that's, that's a deep theological question, I feel. Uh, I think that we make people uncomfortable because of what we stand for and and I think that we're also held to different standards because of what the world thinks that we are. Um, we're not a religion that is, uh, um, we're not, you know, it's not a missionary religion. We don't want to force anyone to become like us. We're um, we're about love. And I think a lot of other people or a lot of other I- groups or some ideologies are not about loving the other fully. It's about turning them to be like you. And, right. um, and maybe in a sense, that's what people are so afraid of, um, generally speaking. But I think that in in terms of um, not even anti-Semitism, in, in terms of how we are being portrayed in the media and how we're being um, discussed, there is definitely a double standard. The the unfortunate thing is that when you speak about double standard to non-Jews, they don't really care um, and and it's just, it's mind boggling. Not only not only the media, I mean, the, the FBI was saying that, um, They they weren't sure if it was anti-Semitic, if the motive was anti-Semitic for the attacks originally, and that that he wasn't going to the synagogue because the synagogue was Jewish. Um, Maybe went to maybe thought it was a different synagogue. Um, And 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 yes, that's that's really the the grim reality I think of being Jewish that it's uh, um, and and having to bleed out for the media to care, and even if they do care, it's very specific type of uh, coverage that we're getting and i mean during the during the event in, in texas which was horrific and i uh, it was saturday night i was sitting in at home with my uh with my boy, my my boyfriend my my fiance i keep forgetting um it's been it's been recent so that's um uh so i keep okay. yeah thank you thank you um so uh, we were sitting at home and and i was really in tears and i feel like i was in tears because i it's happening over and over again. you know, they're they're catching, they're catching us in our synagogues and they try to kill us in our synagogues. And that's living in the diaspora now, I've been living in London for the last uh, over a year now, it's I, I get how scary it is. and and i I can really, it's something that Israelis often don't understand how how terrifying it is to be Jewish in a country that, um that is not jewish and we and we also in the conversation around uh uh, intersectionality people forget that jews are not are not every sunday we are reminded that this are not you know that we're not fully welcomed and every christmas we are reminded i'm not i'm not saying that it's that we should be against it but i'm just saying that there is a reminder in society that we're not fully welcomed and when those events happen for me it's it's really it's a it's the worst to see to see to see it uh, uh, unraveling in front of our eyes.
0: When you make the case for Israel on progressive values to progressives, does it resonate? I mean, can we like can we learn how to do that so that we can make the case better?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think. I think there's a way to make the case I I don't think we we've lost the left and I and I hear some people making those uh, claims that you know we just need to leave the left and go to the right and I I don't think that's a good strategy uh, at all. Um, I think we're we're, we will be able to make this case if we, um, if we show solidarity for sure, um, with other minority groups. without any um caveats with without saying you know we're supporting you but you have to support us back right um and that's what we're also expecting them we're expecting them to stand up against anti-semitism always no matter where it comes from not standing up against anti-semitism unless it's certain type of people that then we're not going to speak about that right. we're going to stand up against all anti-semitism and i feel that once you are showing support to other minority groups and you're standing up for them i was just a few a few weeks ago, we went. Me and my fiance went to um, a protest uh, for trans lives here in London, and I took my. Um, I actually wore a kippah, and I wore my magenta David, and I walked down the street, uh, marching with them. Um, and I had some really fascinating conversations with people. Um, and people came up to me and speaking about. Um, they you know they started a conversation. I said yes, I'm from Israel, and then conversation was about Palestine and and it's it's true that Palestine is being portrayed as as this uh, um, um not that I'm saying that it's not a just cause as I said earlier but it's portrayed now you know if you want to stand up for LGBTQ rights or for women's rights or or for um against racism um in progressive circles you have to you have to also support Palestine and I find that the best way for us as a Jewish community a Zionist Jewish community many of us um, uh, to have this conversation about about Israel is to come from a place of peace, uh, and to say we are about peace. You know, we want peace with both Israelis and Palestinians. We want Israel to exist. We want Palestine to exist. We want peace, and that's pretty much the um, the one argument that people can't really um, um, attack. I mean, progressives are not going to tell you that they are um, against peace, um, and then it's much harder to make for them to make a case. Um, I'm, and I'm speaking as, as a progressive as well, as someone right. that lives here and this is the people that I'm part of.
0: They won't tell you that they're against peace, no, but they will tell you that Israel's against peace.
1: Right. And that's, that's the
0: one argument that I hear all the time is that if Israel really wanted peace, they wouldn't take other people's lands and mistreat them at checkpoints and they wouldn't be occupying and they wouldn't gradually be taking over more and more land um, on and on, right? Um, and so, when you meet those arguments, do you have advice for us on how to redirect the conversation?
1: I think that just for me, it works to say that the, well, there's a few things. First of all, we do we do need some accuracy, and we need to make sure that we are. When, when people say imperialism, that we explain to them what imperialism is and right. saying that imperialism is not just coming from um, white Christian Western um, countries, it's also imperialism in the Middle East is manifesting itself with the Arab empire. And that's really big thing, I, we saw it in May, I think a lot of us that uh, people are talking about imperialism and colonialism, um, the there's, you, the best way to identify an empire is by language. Um, the reason that I speak English is because English is an imperial language and the way that the British empire um, spread English is by colonizing other lands and forcing the local population to speak this language. The same way that Spanish is, a, is an imperial language, um, French is an imperial language and Arabic is also an imperial language. There's only one place where uh, people speak Hebrew and it's in Israel. Uh, Israel is a national entity while, while the Arab world is an imperial one and Palestine and Palestinians are inherently connected to Arab imperialism. So we just need to make sure that those uh, those definitions are are made clear. Um, even if you know I support a two-state solution, but I'm not going to forget the fact that this is part of the Arab Empire. The same Arab Empire, which by the way also oppressed. Almost a million Jews and force them out of their land and ethnically cleanse them because that's another argument. I mean, it's just about fighting all those, um, making sure that we understand all those all those terms that are being thrown against us. And there are many. I mean, yes, there are a lot of a lot of terms, but to make sure that you understand what imperialism and colonialism is, um, that when they're saying ethnic cleansing, that we're putting things. You know, ethnic cleansing on genocide. Those are terms that are very strong. And there was genocide in Europe of Jews. We know what what it looked like. And there was ethnic cleansing of Jews from the Middle East. We know what that looked like. Um, There wasn't an ethnic cleansing of Palestinians inside Israel. There was definitely during the creation of Israel, it was war. Some people were uh, forced to come
0: home. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, and we can admit that. And by the way, that's another thing to win this argument or not to win, to, to win hearts rather. Um, is to admit that we that Israel is not perfect and we make right. mistakes. I'm trying to say that all the time. Um, no country is perfect, um, but and yet it's the only country that we have a debate whether or not it should exist. So no, it's
0: true. You can prove how imperialistic Jews are by the hundreds of countries that speak Hebrew all over the world that we have right. conquered. And my, I remember when I was when I did my junior year abroad in Edinburgh. I was at the University of Edinburgh, and I wrote home a letter to my father, who was a rabbi. And I said, and also loved English literature. And I said, I'm loving reading Wordsworth and Burns and so on. And he wrote me back this letter that I'm sorry, I don't still have. But I remember one phrase in it. He said, I'm so glad that you're enjoying those poets. He says, but remember that we had our Wordsworth and Burns too. And they were named Halevi and Chernichovsky and Bialik. He said, but... English became the language of the world, and those poets became the poets of the world on the backs of British soldiers. That was how he put it. I never forgot that phrase. And we didn't have the backs of Jewish soldiers to make. And that's what defines, as you just so beautifully said, that's what makes a place imperialist. Um, So, yeah, that's a wonderful way of of discussing it.
1: yeah, and your yeah. dad is, is absolutely right. Even even while we are controlling the West Bank still, or parts of the West Bank, the Palestinians are not forced to speak Hebrew or there's no re-education camps um, like empires have. And when they control other locations, I've been I worked in Ghana for a few years with um, um, on social media campaigns. And, and I remember seeing that they all have British accent and, and they believe in Jesus. And I said, well, what is the oldest? Like, where did that came from? So we all know where it came from. That's, that's, that's imperialism. Yes. Uh, yeah, Europe has a, has a lot to teach the world about how to
0: be an imperialist, no question about it. Like Starting from where you're living right now, yeah. Um, yeah. as much as I love England and I do, I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Uh, so when you um, when you come to the States, like what is your sense? You know, American Jews have a very different evaluation of how anti-Semitic America is. I happen to be on the more optimistic side. I will put my cards on the table. Um, I really believe that America is fundamentally safe for Jews. I am not unaware of the fact that there are threats. And I mean, obviously, right? And every synagogue you walk into has security and on and on. So I'm
1: not- It was excellent, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm not, right. I, I'm not, I don't have rose colored glasses. But I wonder how you see um, the states in your time here.
1: I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I don't think there's a, an immediate threat to the whole Jewish community. I mean, there is threat, of course, of anti-Semitism. There's white nationalists, and there are uh, terrorists from. There's people that hate Jews that come in every color and in every. Uh, Religions, uh, just like the, just like how how diverse the Jewish community is, this is how diverse the people are. are um, um, That's uh, uh, for every
0: Jew, there's an anti-Semite. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-Semite, are as diverse as the Jewish community.
1: <laughs> yes, um, unfortunately, but it's it's true. And, um, and, and yet, I do, I do, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's still safe for uh, for Jews in in America. Um, I. What I do see every time I come for a speaking tour—I was in on a speaking tour just a couple of months ago—in in on college campuses, um, I do see a shift in um, maybe people are becoming a bit more desensitized to um, to antisemitism. Um, I do th- I while I do I do think that Jews are safe. I I think this safety is something that we have to maintain all the time, wherever no matter where we are in the diaspora, um, we we are in the grace of whatever empire we live uh, under. Um, and uh, and we need to convince people, not to convince, yeah, we need to, con- it's sad, but we need to convince people that we do deserve a, a seat at the table. And we spoke about progressive um, uh, circles that uh, in a, in a sense are pushing Jews out. And I see young Jews, Online um, and and when I speak on campuses, they are telling me, you know, the left has abandoned us. The progressive movement has abandoned us. We're not going to ask or beg for a seat at the table. And I think this is terrible. Like and and it's and I. I don't want to tell them you have to beg for a seat at the table. I want to tell them you have to fight for a seat at the table because no one's going to give you a seat at the table. No one gave the trans community a seat at the table. They had to fight for it. Even in, in the 80s, gays were uh, in America were, were not standing with trans people. They actually banned them from certain gay clubs because they didn't want trans people there. In um, the same way that the Black community had to fight for uh, acknowledgement, the reckoning that we've seen in the last year was not something that happened you know, before that. And it took them... So much time for for to actually speak about issues um, that still exist in society and 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 things that are in the system. Um, so so I think that the Jewish community is still we can't give up on making our case. We can't give up on on explaining to people why antisemitism is dangerous. I I, I agree that it's not, you know, the the threat is not that we're going to be kicked out tomorrow. But I feel like we're we need to be um, to be able to recognize that there's um. That the anti-Semitism exists and it's prevalent in societies, um, and people need to unlearn it, and that's where that's where I'm connecting to some of the um, of the ideas that um, that we are talking about. How white Christian-dominated societies need to unlearn racism. I think in the same way, they also need to unlearn anti-Semitism. And um, it's not that every everyone is born anti semite but people in white Christian societies um, have ideas that are not that often are not welcoming um, to to the Jewish community. And they need to unlearn that. And we can help them unlearn that. And it's all about educating people, not and not just, I'm seeing sometimes tweets of people saying, oh, this person is an anti-Semite. So if they're anti-Semite, take this as an, as an opportunity and turn them into allies. I had countless of conversations with, with big influence influencers online, uh, people with public power that after a few hours on Zoom calls, turn into the strongest allies we have today. Um, every one of them was you know accused of anti-Semitism and the Jewish community was upset as we should be. Um, but allow people a way back, because if we're not going to do that, we're going to left, be left with no allies. And we need allies, it's, that's I always
0: I always tell people that the first assumption you should make is ignorance mm. before you get to hatred. Because, I mean, I, and I say to Jewish audiences all the time, most people know as much about Israel as you know about Chechnya. It's really important to people who live in Chechnya or in Russia um, but you don't know anything about it because it's not. So the same thing, they hear something, they read something and that's their opinion. So I really do think that that's incredibly important and your ability to have conversations with those influencers matters a lot. Um, I think that you're a great person to answer this question. Uh, and, And I think, again, a lot of people online might not know the answer to this.
1: Are Jews white? Oh, wow we're going with the easy questions now (laughs) Um, the soft ones (laughs) because everybody says we have this white privilege because we're white right so we're okay so let's talk so let's so let's start with the title of the conversation because we didn't touch it the the idea of uh jewish privilege was like which was a a social media campaign that i initiated uh, a couple of years ago when um some people from uh, a forum called 4chan which is a forum that is dominated by neo-Nazis and, and white supremacists because there's no regulation there. They can say whatever they want. And they said, we're going to do a campaign and use this hashtag Jewish privilege um, because we want to hook the people on the left to this campaign to because we're going to use privilege and then get them to attack Jews. And they spread lies like the Jews owned the highest amount of slaves um, 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 in, the, in, in America and all those crazy ideas. And, and I said, okay, this campaign, is, this hashtag is trending because of those people, let's use it to talk about, let's use it to educate. And I started with a hashtag Jewish privilege to educate about what is Jewish privilege for my family that came from Iraq and Tunisia with nothing as refugees with other million Jews Um, And then other people joined in like Sarah Silverman and Josh Gad and a lot of many Jewish celebrities that shared their family's uh, story. Um, And that was really, I think it was really, uh, um, really powerful Um, there when we're talking about privilege in society, um, there are in, in a. In a white christian dominated societies um, there is a privilege to a person that is white and christian um and there's a, a and there's a privilege to men over women in many in many areas of life there's privilege to straight people over lgbtq people um and the privilege means it just means that you are that you are not going to experience the same um forms of uh and, and i'm saying oppression carefully because it's not only oppression it's not oppression just you know oppression is a strong war, word but um for me to walk down to walk down the street with my fiance holding hand is something that we're always cautious about, um, and it's the same thing for um, uh, for not the same thing, but also for a black person going into um, um, into a shop that, and and the security person looking at them in a weird way, they for them that's that's uh, um, something that they need to think about. So that's what what privilege means um, in a white Christian society. There's no Jewish privilege because Jews are not privileged. We're not part of the dominated majority. We're not. We need to think twice when we're going to the synagogue. We need to, you know, we need security in our synagogues. Um, we need to think twice before we put out uh, the Magan David necklace that we have on. Um, we always have to be very careful on everything that we're doing. And, and that's and that immediately says that you don't have privilege um, in this sense on, on being Jewish. Um, I know that some Jews, some of my friends here and and in, and in America um, want to identify as white and they're saying that for them they feel like they benefit from um, from passing into white society. Um, so there's an argument to be made about being uh, about being able to pass into a society as a um, a white Christian a white Christian dominated society to pass and, and hide your identity but even that in and of itself is it's a racist idea because, then it's telling you, okay, only specific type of Jews are able to, it depends how pale your skin is and how you behave and what your name is. And, and being a person of color is not just how pale your skin is. Uh, it means that also your name can be a problem. And, uh, and Jews also were not, and still are, in, in some places, are, we're still facing prejudice. Um, so the answer, if Jews are white, we're, we're not in, the se- in, in what white means and, and what whiteness represents in society. Um, and the privilege that comes with it because we are going to experience you know white supremacy uh, and we are going to experience um, um, uh, inequality and, and um, some people would prefer a, a someone with a Christian name um, right. that to, to hire them into their uh, into their work. Um, but are there black Jews that are experienced diff- that have different experience than Jews with a more pale skin? Absolutely. And, and their experience with racism is different. That's why I don't like terms like, Anti-Jewish racism, you know, that's we shouldn't change. You know, either anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish hate, definitely. But but to say anti-Jewish racism is basically discounting the experience of Black Jews and and Jews of color that have um, that have more challenges that are related to race. And we're also not a race, as, as we know. That was Hitler's biggest. I mean, one of
0: the one of the um, really uh, remarkable phenomenon that I witnessed, having come to Sinai now 25 years ago, was that there's a large percentage of Persian Jews here who are clearly not white in the way that we think of white in America. Their right. skin, many of them, are much darker. And when they came from Iran, in fact, they faced all sorts of prejudice, sometimes because of the darkness of their skin, sometimes because they were from Iran, which everybody in America knew was this terrible country with terrible people. Um, and so it's it's uh, the problem the problem in part of being Jewish is it doesn't fall into the categories that Americans are used to. So they don't quite know. I mean, where do you put a Persian Jew in the category of whiteness or Jewishness or Americanness? They don't fit neatly. And so people aren't quite sure what part they're supposed to dislike.
1: You know? <laughs> um, it's hard. This is, yeah, it's such an excellent point. It's, um, you know, the Persian Jews, but also Syrian Jews in New York, yes, Syrian and Syrian Jews they, the same. Yeah, they can all tell you stories about how they're, and and that's the question. Like, which part of them, uh, which part of them people dislike? Is it the Persian Syrian? Is it their their name? Cuban, Is it the fact that Cuban Jews in
0: Miami the same thing? Right? It's like a exactly. similar phenomenon. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we don't fit neatly into um, racial categories, uh, and I don't think we need to force us to force. Anyone someone told me, you know, I'm I'm using anti-Jewish racism to make it more accessible for the public, but we need to educate the public. Like, let's not be lazy. You know, it's not we, we shouldn't use um something that the public it, it's because then why not using anti-Jewish homophobia or anti-Jewish misogyny? Right. It's, it's just it's not the same. We we need to explain to people what is anti-Jewish hatred. Um I agree that anti-Semitism is a bit um, even the term itself, we need to strengthen it more. Um but, I, but you know, I, I tweeted it the other day that, or posted it somewhere that the people of forever are not afraid of a long journey, right? We've been, right. that's what we're, we're about. Yeah, um, Yeah, the way sometimes
0: when people ask me what Jews are, I say that we're a religious family because you can join a family, like people can join the Jewish people, but you're also born into a family, which is not true if you're just a religion, because you can be born Jewish. Which yeah. is strange for people who say, but the way you become Christian, for example, is you accept Jesus. But tomorrow, I tell them, if I decided, oh, all this stuff that I believe today, it's all wrong, I'd still be Jewish. <laughs> um, which is very confusing if you're not part of this uh, part of this world. So um, do you uh, did you when you came out, did you feel a religious conflict inside yourself? Was it hard as a Jew, or did you feel like Judaism was spacious enough that it wasn't a problem?
1: Um, well, I'll tell you how I grew up first, because uh, I grew up more Orthodox, and my I went to like very Orthodox um, 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 well, kindergarten, and, and then and but did then. you go uh, to Spartic
0: Orthodox? Because that's a little bit generally more tolerant, right? Um, than Ashkenazi Orthodox in Israel.
1: So, uh, so the, um, the elementary school I went to was less, it was more generally more religious or it wasn't like ultra orthodox. Um, So it wasn't Sephardi or Ashkenazi. There were, it was, there was a mix. And then in high school, I already went to a secular one, but um, it, I I felt like growing up with this and growing up with a father that was very strict that, you know, we're, um, we're not turning the light on Shabbat. We're not, you know, I, I tried, I, I fasted on Yom Kippur since I was, like nine or ten, I try to like impress my dad. I felt like all the time those I didn't really connect to my Jewish identity as, as I'm connected to it now. Um, I followed things because this is what we do, and because I thought that if I'll follow the mitzvahs and I'll keep Shabbat and I'll do everything the way that he tells me, I'll you know God would love me more. Um, and and I think that grow and and after that, the more I um, evolve and the more I the more I learn about Jewish identity. Um, the 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 more whole i felt with my um with my gay identity as well um coming out um coming out was was hard was it's not, I'm not feeling as as good as I do now. I didn't feel as good as I as I do now. Um I felt like I was doing something wrong. I felt like this is, you know, I have to pick one or the other. When I came out, I became more secular. Um, I didn't really do any of the Jewish things that i that I'm doing today. Um, and I feel like the the more I learned about Judaism and the more I understood about I understood what what this identity means to me. I you know, I, I had it in my soul. I always felt what I am. But I didn't really the 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 rational part was not connected. And the more I learned about it, the more I found that I can be I can be fully Jew. I can be fully everything I am. And you know I can't. It's not about being. The, the other thing is we speak about identities, and I I believe that we can always add identities. You know you don't need to be half and half. Right. You can be hundred percent everything that you are. Um, and the more whole I became with my gay identity, the more. I I feel like I also became gradually more whole with my uh, with my Jewish identity and and we are you know today we're doing uh, every Friday Kiddish and I'm going to shul and I feel like this that and we're you know we're, we're mentioning the holidays and and doesn't even cross my mind that that maybe there is a problem with being gay and that's something that if you Ask me, you know, 12 years, 15 years ago, I would tell you, yes, I do think that there's a problem. And I, uh, and I remember thinking that, or or maybe it was even a conversation I had with my dad that he said, you know, it's fine, but just don't, you're not going to do a wedding because that will be insulting to our religion. And, and now when I'm engaged, I cannot wait to have a Jewish wedding and I cannot wait to raise Jewish kids. And, you know, we want to adopt kids and, and um. And me and my partner agreed 100% they're going to be raised Jewish. And that's, and I'm like, it's, I'm so happy. Like, that's that's what's important for me to also tell to everyone that are listening to us. It's being whole with who you are and being full with who you are cannot be easier once you do it. And once you accept who you are and it's like you you become so much lighter and so much happier. So, um, yeah. I'm so,
0: I'm so glad that you, that you, said that at the end, because um, one of the reasons I think why you're so effective on social media is because people feel a wholeness from you, like the, you, you stand for what you stand for, and you do it without any apology or embarrassment. And that's very healing for other people who, mm-hmm. like, look to you, you know, everyone needs role models who look to you and say, ah, you can be this way. And so I, I want to ask you two questions. First, I want to just have you tell everybody where they can find you and how they can follow you and how they can listen to to your messages and then second could you talk a little bit about the importance of social media in your world
1: yes absolutely um you can find me everywhere by just uh searching (laughs) my name um, everywhere Uh, online uh on on uh i'm I'm mostly active on instagram and twitter uh facebook as well um you can find me by looking the name chen mazig it's uh um, with no space. Um, that's usually my handle. Also, I started getting involved on TikTok, uh, which is a great segue to your next question. Um, I didn't want it to be involved on TikTok. I thought it was a great platform and it's very entertaining, but I felt like that's something that I need to live for the kids. Um, and, and the kids actually told me that they need me to come <laughs> educate people on TikTok because there's a lot of hatred online. Um, I think that I... I I wrote an article a few weeks ago for uh, Elga Minor about how um, it's not the same antisemitism of our grandparents. Um, we are dealing with, a, you know, we know that antisemitism mutates and it's turning into whatever um, uh, whatever society is more susceptible to um, to hold as, as antisemitism. Um, and I feel like today the conversation around Israel is so, um, soaked with misinformation and lies and and we just you know we just touched on a few of them um but it's the message is spreading so much faster online um and some of the ideas that people hold online are are terrible but but more than that it's terrible is the fact that there are Tens of millions of eyes that are uh, looking at this message. Uh, we, many people were seeing how uh, the Hadid sisters, uh, Bella and Gigi Hadid, uh, both of them are Palestinian, uh, half Palestinians. Although they were born in a mansion in LA, which was, which is always people are talking about them and saying, you know, those are Palestinian refugees. Right. And I'm saying, okay, maybe they're not Palestinian refugees. They live in uh, um, in Beverly Hills, in a really nice place, really nice ma- mansion, and they are the daughters of a billionaire. So. I don't know how um, how oppressed they are. Um, but still, the, both of them together have over 50 million followers. Um, so that means that 50 million people are reading their messages. Um, and without filter uh, filtering this message, they people really don't know um, what is true and what is false. Uh, and the reason that at the Tel Aviv Institute, where I work, what we're doing today, and you can learn more and get involved with social media, work on uh, TLVI.org. Uh, org org so tlvi.org um we're focusing on um training influencers to um young influencers micro micro influencers that are just beginning uh some are bigger ones but um jewish ones that um we are supporting uh and creating those platforms because because we realize that having a name over a, a name of an organization as your platform is not working the the reason that most PR companies today will tell you if you ask them, "Do you want to invest in a billboard or an in- influencer?" They will choose the influencer because that's, you know, an advice from a friend. You feel like this is someone that you can trust. You follow them, you see their stories, you see them going to, you know, to uh, uh, to Whole Foods, whatever they're eating. Uh, you see the the meal that they had. You see their family, and then you get this antisemitic message so you, it's really hard to say wait this is not like i don't want to be it anti-semitic or or other form of of bigotry um for me it's what we're worried about is is for our community um so social media is is an incredibly powerful tool uh, it can bring down governments and it can elect presidents as we know from the past um it can you know it, if if it's in the wrong hands it can cause real damage and i think that Um, as a community, we have to put more uh, emphasis and and make sure that we are uh, not losing this this fight on social media and uh, sorry, one last point it's very upsetting and I know how upsetting it has been doing it for a decade and I'm seeing anti-Semitism online and I'm sure you Rabbi will be you're often on social media saying things um, that are really I, I know that that are crafted very well but um but often we're seeing semitism online and on Twitter uh and and the first instinct that we have is to just like scream or or say something you know those people look at what they're doing and often that's the worst thing that we can do because, um, and, and that's why I encourage everyone also to follow you. I'm sure everyone are following you, uh, but, but, but the way that the, the messaging that you're crafting is so well written and I'm, I'm sure it takes um, uh, you think about every message. So um, for everyone that are listening, that use social media, um, just think a lot before you posting and think how non-Jews are going to see that. Cause a lot of non-Jews are going to see that and th- your message and they're going to get an impression of, of, who you are and who our community is. Um, we are uh, unfortunately we are all representing our community, and it doesn't matter if we um, if we have a position or not. Uh, just being Jewish, uh, and so so avoid being in echo chamber and avoid being in places. If you feel like you're in a in a group or or you're following people that are just in agreement with you all the time. Diversify it. open it open more to, to other people with different opinion, different perspectives. Um, and, and, th- and again, always think about how uh, people are going to, ex- to receive the message that you're putting out there.
0: I wonder, I mean, I think that that's incredibly important. And it's true that when you're on social media, you're speaking to the world. And, and that doesn't only mean, as you said, people who agree with you. I wonder if you came to that because you always had, growing up, a little bit of an outsider status so you always had a certain empathy with people who didn't think the way everybody else was thinking.
1: Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, definitely, it's connected to being um, to being an outsider, or or to f- having more empathy to to other people, I guess, or to different experiences and understand that I. I don't know how everyone experienced life and how everyone walked through this world. We all, I mean, I, I suffered in my way and, and we all suffer in some way. And, um, um, and I mean, uh, yeah, I think that that definitely contributed to, um, to my ability to try and put myself in other people's shoes. And that's, uh, that's the other advice, like just try and think how it is for other people and, and understand that you will never fully understand it. But maybe, you know, maybe they, their experience is different than ours. Is this what you want to do with your life? <laughs> you know? um, I actually, <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, the thing is with this work is like, it's, there's no ne- there's never going to be an end to antisemitism. I know it's going to yeah. be with yeah. us uh, forever. So it's this type of battle that I, I want to fight for, um, I want to make an impact. And if, and that's why I'm, with would tell Institute, what we're doing now is I want to create more people like me, more young people that will be able to carry on the work that I'm doing. Um, I actually just finished writing my first book. So that, that will come out. Uh, I'm shamelessly plugging my, my next book. Oh, no, I want you to, what's the name? Uh, it's called the Jew of color. Um, and it's uh, um, So I'm it's so glad
0: color. I asked you if Jews were white. It's the Jew of color. I love that. That's great. <laughs>
1: I'm touching on that issue as well, um, and it's going to come out with a wicked Sun um, in in later this year. Um, if you follow me on social media, be sure that I'll uh, that I'll update you about that. Um, yeah, in my book, I'm speaking about everything that I spoke with you today, uh, and yeah, so maybe I'll write another book. I don't know. Yeah, my wherever life takes me, I definitely know that I want to be continue being proud of my Jewish identity and inspire. Other Jews to be proud of their identity. Like I think it's so important to be, you know, as an as as a gay person, but as a Jew, I, I feel like it's taking pride of everything that you are. And I'm re- a bit repeated repetitive, but it's so important because it's uh, um it really makes everything different to to.
0: I want to ask you a question that uh, Rebecca Small, our our uh, program director, who has enabled us to do this and put all this together. Um, encouraged me to ask it's a kind of inside baseball question which is what kind of pushback are you getting from the Jewish community um, like is the right-wing Jewish community the Haredi community are other Jews giving you a harder time
1: yeah that's the worst part when I get like pushback from Jews because I can deal with you know non-Jews criticizing me um, because I'm like okay they don't they don't understand but then um yeah, so it's it's coming from everywhere, and I, I also accept the fact that I when I put a message out there on social media, and when I'm uh, when I have many followers, or you know sixty I have sixty thousand followers, and I think that's enough for me to to be um, in the eye of or, or in the in the middle of, of many conversations, especially with the tweets that I'm putting out there, and the, and the un- uncomfortable truths that I share for myself. Um, but I get a, I get pushback. I get, I get homophobia online. I get people telling me that um, I, I'm not Jewish or that um, the fact that I'm gay is, uh, is a sin. And I'm get Christians telling me that, but, but that's, again, that doesn't matter that the, when the, when Jews are telling me that uh, that's a problem. I get a pushback from right-wing Jews, um, well, Jews on the right, that is not right-wing Jews right. um, that, that feel like my message is too appeasing. Uh, someone was uh was calling me, uh, calling me the other day. Uh, what was it, uh, Professor X from uh, from the story X Men? Uh, uh-huh. he was the you uh, uh, Professor Xavier was the one that tried to make peace between the mutants and the and the rest uh-huh. of the. And he said, aren't you tired of being Professor X in this, <laughs> this fight? Um, and, I, and I thought about it. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, of course, I'm tired of it. I don't want to do that. But I do think that we have to, we, there's no other alternative. The only alternative no. is to give up. And we can't give I up. Can, I
0: can only imagine. I, I know the letters that I got. Sometimes I still get them, but not nearly as much as I got. When I first said that I was going to do same-sex marriages, they were just off. I mean, horrible. I remember one... Actually, this one, um, this was my daughter's favorite letter. She liked, she liked laughing over the letters that I would get. Said, God makes no mistakes except creating you. <laughs> <laughs> and then she thought that was. So she used to go around saying that, Dad, God makes no mistakes except creating. I mean, it's just the, the anger. and the, but, but one of the things that has always helped me is, I know when you evoke that kind of anger, it's not about you it's just so disproportionate to anything you ever did or said that it somehow resides in the other person. And that's helpful to always keep in mind, but- uh, Yeah,
1: that's a that's good point.
0: Um, so I would a really nice question from Cindy Williams. She wants <clears throat> to know, um, how can non-Jews better help our Jewish friends and the Jewish faith and people on social media?
1: Um, Elevate voices of Jews, um, make sure that you are um, you are reading from multiple uh, perspectives of Jews. Uh, it's really important not to tokenize, because often people will use Jews um, that are saying the things that they want to hear. Um, so they would go to the specific and and we're seeing it. I often see it with anti-Zionist Jews where, um, of course, it's legitimate opinion doesn't make them less Jewish, but it, may, right. but it is important to to uh, I mean it is important to remember that they are a fringe minority and, and less than 5% according to any uh, poll of American Jews. Uh, most American Jews are Zionists. So to elevate those voices is problematic. So in the same way, I don't think we need to elevate voices that you feel like are not the consensus. And it's, it's hard to know what the consensus, but the way to do it is by following Jews and engaging um, um, with, our, with as many Jews as you can and make sure that you are listening, um, and uh, and encouraging other non-Jews to speak up and encouraging on other non-Jews to become allies that's another important thing I feel like many people were telling me how after the recent event um, uh, in in Texas they felt like the Jew- the non-Jewish world was silent or, or abandoning us and and I also you know I got three messages from non-Jewish friends but there are many other non-Jews that didn't say anything and that's um, and when something like this happened to any, to any other minority community you know, we need to remember that America were two of, percent uh, of the population um, they do speak up and uh, and my social media accounts are flooded not only flooded I'm the one sharing content and speaking up for other minorities um, so it is you know that's that's where uh, you become ally a good ally but when when we need you, and, uh, and it means it goes such a, lo- such a long way when you're uh, a non-Jewish person speaking for the Jewish community in, in time of uh, crisis.
0: Um, also, I, I will just add that when it's possible, if you haven't visited Israel, I always encourage both Jewish and non-Jewish friends to go and actually see Israel because like everything else in the world, what you read about it and what you hear about it, it's an entirely different reality when you actually go there. Um, whether you're on the right or on the left. Uh, and and obviously, like you, I believe there's a broad range of opinion about Israel that has solid ground, but still um, the way to learn and to change your opinion is to actually see for yourself. Uh, so um, in addition to that, uh, now for the Jewish community, what advice do you have?
1: Um, for us, I think internally, we need to make sure that uh, we are kinder to one another um, that, you know, the I forgot where this quote from, but, you know, the person that you disagree with the most, you have to be the kindest to, um, that's, it's very, it's very important that we are able to um, hold conflicts and, and not, and focus outwards um, and not, those internal fights are not helping anyone. Um, I would also say, when Jews that don't have the same experience that you have uh, are discussing those experiences, let's try and listen to them. Um, when, uh, when gay Jews or LGBTQ Jews are telling you that they have different experience, uh, listen to them. I had such incredible discussions in the last few days with, um, with Black Jews that we're working with at Alvin Institute. Um, that we're saying, of course, we understand that because I asked them. I saw online that some people said that um, uh, we need to discuss why there's security in synagogues because it's harming Black Jews. And the Black Jews that I spoke to said they absolutely want Black, they, they absolutely want um, uh, security in synagogues, um, but they want the security to be to be trained to make sure that they're not treating Black Jews differently. Um, they they actually told me that the worst part is not the security that is treating them differently, is that. Jews inside the synagogue, some Jews inside the synagogue are treating those those Black Jews differently. So that was really heartbreaking for me to hear, but I think that's something that we need to take um, into heart and and make sure that, first of all, the security in synagogues and, and in community centers and in Jewish institutions um, knows about the diversity of Jews and that we and the Black Jews are still valid, are just as valid as any other Jews. Um, and and that we are um, and that we are also more you know accepting and not to, and and just lead with love you know we were we're one people we're such a small community and and we keep on sometimes there's this internal fights that I just I don't understand them so I, I just want you know just let's love each other more that's that's the that's what I, that's my message for for Jews
0: I think that is a beautiful message to uh, to end on and I want to thank you so much for a really eloquent and important hour. Um, so and Mazig, find him on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and look for his new book. Uh Jews of Color.
1: Yes, a Jew of color.
0: A Jew of color. Um, and in addition to being a Jew of color, you are a colorful Jew. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, and great to thank talk to you. So much, thank you so much, Thank you. Bye-bye.